Hello everyone and welcome to episode 11 of You Scared of This Shit. For all you newbies out there, this is a podcast wherein Eli Phillips and I watch every episode of the seminal children's horror show, Are You Afraid of the Dark? And then break it down. That's right. This week we are watching episode 11, The Tale of the Dark Music, which was directed by Ron Oliver and Chloe Brown, who wrote and directed the first two episodes of uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark? And some of our favorite moments so far. So we're really excited to get started on this one. Let's jump right in. Let's not jump right in yet. Ah. Before we before we get into this, there is one thing I want to address. Uh, last week, we reviewed episode 10, The Tale of Jake and the Leprechaun. Yep. Uh, and I want to take this opportunity to to issue a, a small apology to that episode. We, we said a lot of uh, disparaging things about it. But in the weeks since we watched it, and in the process of putting that episode together, I, I think I've kind of come to enjoy the tale of Jake and the Leprechaun on sort of a, as a guilty pleasure. It's so strange, but I think maybe once you get over that, it's kind of fun. I don't know, maybe if it was just the, the Stockholm Syndrome of having to listen to it over and over again while editing the episode, but Jake and the Leprechaun, kind of a fun episode. Yeah, I think that it's fun. I think that when we're recording these, we always, uh, we want to classify the episodes and really identify sort of what their style is and that was such a hard episode to classify that i think it probably frustrated us so official apologies issued to jake and the leprechaun both respectively yes (laughs) all right with that out of the way let's uh get back on track and we'll jump right into the tale of the dark music all right an episode we've both been looking forward to for a variety of reasons yeah the tale of the dark music starts off uh as i like for episodes to start off with some fun interactions happening around the fire for the midnight society the first thing that we see is gary and he's like on his belly crawling up to the fire and blowing on it to get it to get it going and i like seeing gary sort of taking care of the midnight society and being not just like the leader but also the the caretaker of the bunch so i thought that was great if you remember last week, keen-eared listeners will remember that last week on Tale of Jake and the Leprechaun, we, we began that episode with Gary telling everyone that Frank was supposed to tell his story, but had handed the reins off to Eric as a show of uh, respect, since uh, Eric's grandfather had died and Eric wanted to eulogize him with this crazy Leprechaun story. Yeah, and it would be easy to assume after that that maybe the two of them had repaired their relationship in some way, since uh, since in the past episodes we've seen them have sort of a, a bit of a problem with each other. Well, just one week later, how does Eric repay Frank's generosity? This episode starts with uh, Frank bursting into the uh, the Midnight Society's little circle around the fire, and he is pissed. Where were you? It's okay, Frank. We're waiting for you. We were supposed to come together? Oh, yeah. Forgot. Sorry. Forgot? He is livid. Uh, he storms out of the woods uh, and walks up to Eric and demands to know where he was. They sound like an old married couple bickering. Where were you? You were supposed to come with me. Yeah, Frank has uh, lost his flashlight, and Eric is giving him a pretty hard time about the fact that Frank seems a little bit scared that he had to walk through the woods by himself. And Eric... Turns up the dickishness to fucking 20. It's great. Poor Frankie lost his flashlight. Let it go, Eric. And what? And he's afraid of the dark. He is in rare form tonight. And it's so great that everyone else in the Midnight Society is just along for the ride with him. Yeah, he's making fun of Frank and saying that Frank is afraid of the dark. And he's calling Frank a baby but he can't really say anything about it because he's just burst out of the woods and he's obviously scared. 
Even Kristen gets a shot in at him. Yeah. Not Mr. Tough Stuff. Eric, in the most condescending way he possibly could, sets up the story. Yeah, it's a good one. There's a little boy in it who's afraid of the dark. The tale of the dark music. What a ride it's going to be. So the tale of the dark music starts with our young protagonist, Andy. He's throwing papers. He's a paper boy. And Eric explains that he and his parent, or he and his mom and his sister have just moved into a new house that they inherited from uh, his weird old uncle who who passed away. Yeah, a mysterious uncle. The family's kind of down on their luck, but this might be a reversal of fortune for them. Did you notice that their house is uh, number 420? Smoke weed every day! So... Uh, he's delivering papers, he rides up to the house and starts helping his mom uh, move stuff in. And then the very next scene that we see is he's being assaulted by a bully? You mess with me, kid, and I'll deck you. He drives his, he accidentally drives his bike directly into this episode's resident butthead. And we learn two things in this moment. One, Andy has a neighbor... Named Coda? Yeah, K-O-D-A. K-O-D-A. Yep. And Coda is, he's another very specific kind of early 90s character that I love, which is the early 90s, like, metal dude. Yeah. It's this guy who looks like Dave Mustaine from Megadeth. This, like, skinny <laughs> black jeans, black t-shirt, red hair scumbag. He's like a cross between Butnick and the bullies from uh, Hocus Pocus. We don't get any smokes from you. We don't get any cash. What am I supposed to do with my afternoon? Maybe you could learn to breathe through your nose. <laughs> the other thing we learn in this moment is that this episode is going to be driven by a series of awful 90s guitar riffs. Welcome to the neighborhood. Again, not grunge, but this weird sort of sanitized hard rock. With really nasally twangy guitars. Yeah, I uh, I made note of how many weird musical cues there were in this one. You better get used to it now. This is not a strong episode musically. I gotta say that. It kind of grows on you after a while. Yeah, yeah. I went through a Jake and a Leprechaun with the music on this episode and really came around to it by the time it was over. Uh, the next thing that we see is Andy is helping his mom get the house together. Um, she is trying to put up these weird blinds that are basically just long strips of plastic that dangle from a window, and she's complaining about how stu- stupid they are. Those aren't weird. I have those. Yeah, I do too, and I hate them. They're the worst thing in the world, and she's absolutely right. The second I saw that, I felt so vindicated. I was like, yes, those are the worst. Thank you. Andy, meanwhile, is pulling a giant fish out of a box. <laughs> yep, he's got a, an enormous, like, several-foot-long uh, taxidermied fish that his mom saw fit to pack and bring with them, which seems unlikely, but okay. Mom tells him to go downstairs and get a ladder. To hang the fish. To hang the fish. Uh, Andy, <laughs> his face contorts into, he looks like he just jizzed his pants. <laughs> it's, it looks like, uh, yeah, one of the faces from the, uh, the Lonely Island music video. But this is not an expression of euphoria, no, no. We find out that Andy's afraid of the dark and he doesn't want to go down in the basement. Uh, I don't know. What's the matter, Andy? Afraid of the dark? No, I'm not afraid of the dark. He steals his nerve and, I guess, 
makes the descent. This is sort of like the uh, the tale of the nightly neighbors, where they really want to make a dramatic moment out of someone going down into the basement. I really, really enjoyed the cinematography here, where we, once again, we get a shot of the character, like, reaching for the doorknob, and the door slowly opening. We get a pan around the basement, which is, it's done in the style of my favorite rooms on this show, where it's like dark and hard to see and everything is just wall-to-wall junk and after rummaging around for a while he finds a light and he discovers an old-timey like tube radio sitting on like the workbench a pretty cool old radio and something mysterious happens i heard that yeah, when he was walking down into the basement, the camera passes by a weird door. It's the kind of door that someone would have like thrown together inside of a shack that would, you know, be an evil dead. And whenever he starts playing the music, the camera cuts back to this door and it lights up on the other side of the door. So there's obviously something behind it that's reacting to what's going on in here. And the weird knob hinge slowly starts to turn. And we see a terrifying pair of red eyes looking out from the void. Hello, Andy. Come on in. This is Eric's best moment since the tale of the Twisted Claw. Like, this is what we've expected him to deliver ever since he gave us the two scariest moments of the show. There's blackness behind this door, and the camera zooms in on a terrifying pair of glowing red eyes, and we get our first scream take of the episode. And the demonic voice from behind the door says, Hello, Andy. Come on in. This was like the most Stephen King moment this show has ever had, right? I had that in my notes also. This is a very Stephen King episode. Yeah, it feels like it was written by him. Yeah, just the idea that there's this like portal to another dimension hidden in a very mundane place, and there's this unspeakable evil on the other side. Yes, and it shapeshifts. And it shapeshifts, so yeah. Boogeyman in the basement. I love it. Andy has run up the stairs and out of the room, and we cut back to the Midnight Society doing their usual comment on what's happening. Uncle Niles may be dead, but he's not forgotten. Ooh, yeah. This almost ruins the moment for me a little bit, because they all go around just stating the obvious, like, ooh, there was a boogeyman in the basement. Really scary. I don't need to be told that this was scary. Just show me the thing, and I'll know that it's scary. Like... All of this is done to make the point that it uh, Frank appears to have run off. Yeah. And Eric says that, oh, he must not have been able to handle it. So anyway. Back in Eric's story. Andy has brought his mom downstairs. <laughs> it was in there. It talked to me. Is it fair to call Andy a complete wuss? It would be fair to call Andy a complete wuss in this moment if he had run upstairs and got his mom without the door opening to an evil dimension. But the fact that he went upstairs and got his mom because there was a demon... Maybe, maybe justified. Mom strolls downstairs, grabs a hockey stick, because remember, this is filmed in Canada, yep. and just throws open the door to find nothing. It's just an empty stone room. It was probably a rat or something. Rats don't talk. Good. I hate rats. And our next shot is actually one of my favorites in the whole, not just in this episode, but in the show. We get a guitar squeal and an extreme close-up on a fat man's ass. <laughs> There's this shirtless, chubby guy 
walking away from the camera. The camera is following him as he walks through his yard, and he's wearing pants that look like they are made out of a circus tent. They are, like, black and white striped. They're something the penguin would have worn in Batman Returns. We get a tracking shot following this ass up to his front door, and it's revealed to be, I guess, Coda the Bully's dad. Yeah. This grotesque, like... 80s metal cast off. You want an allowance? You earn it. Yeah, yeah. He's like getting onto him and saying, do your chores, but that's exactly what Coda is doing. Coda goes back to his scrubbing, and uh, and we see Andy riding down the road on his bicycle, throwing his newspapers. I'm also going to take a moment to uh, be critical of what Andy's wearing. He has the biggest, longest sleeves I've ever seen on a t-shirt. Yeah, he's wearing a t-shirt that's obviously too big for him. The shirt is so big. It's a it's a short sleeve t-shirt, and the sleeves go down past his elbows. And he is on his paper out. He tosses a newspaper at the Coda house, and it somehow bounces off the front door and topples the bucket of, like, sudsy water that Coda's using to scrub uh, his front porch. And he is just hilariously soaked with sudsy water... <laughs> He is not happy about this at all. Oh man, you're gonna die. He immediately gives chase after Andy. To escape, Andy goes in the sort of back door to their basement. He goes down there and locks the door behind him just in time, right before Coda gets to him. Uh, but Andy once again finds himself in the basement with the, the mystery door. Sort of, there's a dramatic build and some scary music when all of the sudden his sister pops up and jumps out and scares him. Yeah, this is the rare episode where we actually have two butthead characters. And the bully of... and the annoying little sister. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm going to pause you at this moment, I guess, because when his little sister jumps out and scares him, did you catch? Did you notice the clever uh, reference that happened here that Ron Oliver has made? I did not. Tell me about it. All right, uh, if you look behind his sister when she jumps out and scares him, what's on the shelf? A laundry basket? Nope. Try again. It's right when she jumps out and scares him. Oh, my God! Yeah, pretty good, right? Listeners at home, uh, I did not see this before. My mind is being blown. Sitting on the shelf behind the two kids is Dr. Vink's severed hand from the very first episode. Something like... The severed hand in a jar of green liquid is sitting on the shelf on the back wall of the basement right behind the two protagonists. Mind fucking blown. (laughs) That's what's great about these shots where you're in uh, like a basement or an attic and anything could be there is you can hide stuff like Dr. Vink's severed hand from the first from the first episode of the show. Way to go, Ron. Boy, you're such a wess. Don't come down here alone anymore. Yeah, the boogeyman might get me. They have a, a brief confrontation, and she gives Andy a hard time about being scared of being in the basement, and he denies it, and then they leave. And the next thing that we see is he is sitting in a chair in the living room, with, and he's drawing a picture. Uh, he's got a Sharpie and a, and a notebook, and he's drawing a picture of the scary door in the basement. It's obviously on his mind. Yeah, he's sitting around. The family is just kind of continuing to get acclimated and he asks his mom what exactly happened to this bizarre uncle who left him the house and she says that as far as anyone knows he was kind of nuts and he never left the house for any reason and yet he somehow became fantastically wealthy nobody knows where the money came from (laughs) 
From what I hear, the neighbors didn't like him too much. I thought he was kind of loony. She finishes this conversation by saying, let's not talk about it. And then she asks his sister to go get some laundry from the basement. Sister is too busy playing some manner of, of early 90s video game. It's not a SNES. It's not a Genesis. This may not be important. Anyway, Andy goes to the basement to wash some tarps. Which was weird, right? She was like, hey, go clean these tarps. Go wash these tarps for me. I guess she was repainting, maybe? Maybe. I will cut this, but whenever I hear tarps now, I just think of, like, when the Flophouse references them. That's exactly why I was bringing it up so much. (laughs) In which case, the tarp was invented for outdoor lesbian sex scenes in vivid video Yep. Uh, pornographic films. Yep. Hey, this family's not doing yep. well. You gotta make hens meet somehow. <laughs> Never says what his mom does. I'm filthy. So Andy has to go back down into the basement once again. And oh my god, what a scene we are about to get. Andy has found a portable radio and he's jamming out to a yet another like 90s rock fusion song. It's just a guitar solo, like a long guitar solo with no lyrics or anything else. Because apparently in the world of this episode, like, that was the dominant style of music at this time. Instrumental rock. He's doing the laundry, and once again, the doorknob on the mysterious door begins to rattle, and it swings open. And this time, a figure emerges from the darkness, and it is the scariest thing in the show so far. The door opens, and out of it walks a six-foot-tall porcelain baby doll. It's awful. It has this dead look in its eyes. This is, like, the bottom of the uncanny valley. Yeah, it's wearing, like, a bright, blonde, curly wig, and it has rosy cheeks and dead eyes. Very creepy-looking doll. And it reaches out its hand and tells him to come with it. We can have lots of fun. Andy almost does it! Andy does not react the way a normal human being would by, like, shitting himself and running straight through the wall. (laughs) Yeah, there should be a cartoon Andy-sized hole in the wall or something. The doll extends its hand to Andy, and Andy almost takes it. His mom shows up at the top of the stairs, and she's telling him to hurry up. And in order to sort of, like, motivate him to finish his, his chore... She flips the light switch that cuts off all of the power to the basement. Yeah, that's an important plot point for later. She's able to turn off the power to the basement from upstairs, and when she does so, the doll launches itself back into the door, and the door closes on its own power. The very next scene, we get another shot of Andy working downstairs in the basement doing something or another. Still listening to music, because apparently Andy is not very smart. Yeah. Uh, but this time, uh, it has a bit of a different effect. The music changes from guitar solo to, like, old-time circus music. We get another shot of the hand in the jar, I'll point out. The real hero of this episode, the hand <laughs> in the jar. Uh, so yeah, the radio starts acting strangely. It's pumping out this circus music. And, of course, the door begins rattling and eventually swings open of its own power. And what do we see this time? We see stock footage from episode two of the show, The Tale of Laughing in the Dark. It's a carnival scene. It actually is. It is the opening shot of, of Laughing in the Dark. And through some very shoddy green screening, we see a glimpse of an old-timey carny beckoning Eric to come in. Hurry, hurry, hurry! Step right up for the time of 
yeah, there are there are balloons and popcorn, and it's all poorly green screened in front of a roller coaster. And at first, this all looks very hokey, but then the guy reaches for Eric. Oh, don't stop now, son. You're almost. The carny reaches out for Eric, and a skeletal hand emerges from the door, and suddenly the lights go out, and the man has, like, the carnival disappears, and the man standing behind the door has turned into a screaming skeleton in a straw hat. Yeah, and there is, like, smoke billowing everywhere, and because the creature was able to touch Eric, he started sucking him into the room. Like, there's a vacuum force pulling Eric into the terrifying door, and the skeletal hand is able to reach out towards him, and it's, it's trying to grab him. Andy is pulled off of his feet and is flying through the air, holding onto a table, trying to keep from being sucked in. And he grabs onto the boombox to, to save himself, and the force of the vacuum from the door ends up pulling the, uh, pulling the boombox out, unplugs it from the wall, and the music stops, and the door closes. Yeah, Andy falls to the ground, and he's like, "Ah, it's music, and figures out what is causing the door to open. Music. It's music. And he runs out the door and hops on his bike and runs away, again, like a normal person would. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we get my second favorite scene in the episode. He rides his bike directly into uh, Coda again, who just punches him in the face. Nice day for a ride, isn't it? Koda has been harboring a grudge ever since that Sudzy water got on him, and he has not cooled off about it. So he immediately punches Andy square in the in the middle of his face. Andy falls to the ground. They don't make any effort to conceal this. Like you would never see this on Nickelodeon today. No. Uh, it's a it's just a flat two shot of the two of them, and he just punches him right in the kisser. He punches him twice. Yeah. He he punches him, and then he picks him up off the ground and punches him again. Mom's not going to help you now, kid. And then just to make his point clear, he picks up poor Andy's bike and chucks it underneath a garbage truck. There's an enormous truck barreling down the road out of nowhere, and he throws the bike at it. Don't! The bike disappears. When the truck pulls away, the bike is not there anymore. It has been destroyed. In a very cartoony fashion, one sad little bent wheel rolls back to him. Now you've got to deliver your stupid papers by foot. And Coda vows to continue making Andy's life a living hell. Yeah, he he picks up the... We see Andy pick up the remains of his bike and walk home, and he's he's nursing his forehead. He's got a huge black eye on the wrong side of his face. Yeah, yeah, he does, doesn't he? But listen, he might be a wimp, and he might be a geek, and he might be a totally unlikable character, but you can only push Andy so far... Before he'll completely snap. We see Andy sitting on the porch, and we can see the wheels turning in his head. It's just to illustrate this even further. We see a light bulb going off. Like, literally. He turns on the light in the basement. Yeah, we cut from him having an idea to a shot of a light bulb going off, which I really liked. So we get a montage of Andy setting up a new stereo down in the basement, and he runs upstairs and locks the basement door behind him, and then he rolls up a newspaper with a board inside of it, with a piece of a 2x4 hidden inside of it. This whole sequence has a very Home Alone feel, where we see, it was this, like you said, a very quick montage of him, like, plugging stuff in and setting traps. Yeah, it reminds me of when when uh, Kevin McAllister is, like, 
putting micro machines on the stairs and like setting up paint cans and stuff. Finally, it's time for Andy to put the plan into action. He takes his loaded newspaper and throws it directly at Coda across the street. I feel like this would be a revenge enough, right? Like, you don't have to do any of the rest of it. Just roll up a newspaper with a board inside of it and hit someone in the face. When you're done, come over and clean my house. You make a good maid. You're dead. Coda gives chase and finds the open cellar door outside of Andy's house and naturally just climbs into it thinking that Andy is there. And Andy takes the opportunity to lock him inside. Yeah, Andy was hiding behind the basement, the cellar door, uh, throws it shut, and shoves a broom through the two door handles to keep it locked. Coda tries to escape, but it's too late for him now. Andy flips the switch that his mom used earlier and turns on power in the basement. 90s metal starts blaring from all of the speakers at a deafening level. And we see a light from behind the cellar door that's brighter than anything we've seen so far. The camera zooms in on the doorknob as it turns, and the door begins to open. And we get an incredible screen tape. We don't even see what comes out of the door. We just see Coda's horrified reaction as he collapses to the ground and screams into the camera. And we get a close-up of, like, his uvula. Yeah. The camera zooms in to his face. He falls over. It zooms into his face again. And then it zooms in into his mouth. And he decides this is enough and turns off the, uh, the power to the basement. He goes downstairs to check on Coda to make sure that he's had his medicine. Coda? Coda is nowhere to be found, and in his place is a shiny new bicycle. Yeah, there's a really cool-looking bike with, it's like a neon yellow bike, and it's parked in front of the stereos. And he turns on the radio again, and a benevolent, like, blue and white light comes out from behind the door, and it cracks open. And the dark, evil voice from earlier tells Andy that anything he wants can be his. Yeah, it promises to grant his wishes just like he did, just like it did for his, uh, Andy's uncle. I'll give you anything you want, just like I did for your uncle. Who are you? Anything you want. You only have to do one thing. What's that? Feed me, feed me. It is at this point that we hear Andy's little sister shout to him from upstairs. She says that their mom is going to be late getting home, and Andy has to cook her dinner. He'd better do a good job, or he'll be sorry. And the closing shot, the closing shot of the story, is the camera slowly panning to uh, Andy's face as he hears his sister with this look of, like, pure evil mischief. Yeah, he gets an evil grin and stares directly into the camera. We cut back to the Midnight Society, and again, they kind of ruin the moment because Kristen immediately asked, he didn't sacrifice his sister, did he? And Eric assures, assures her that, oh no, he just scared her a little bit. He made sure that she didn't bother him anymore. Cool. So all the tension from that final uh, scene of the story is kind of sapped out. I've, I've started to wonder if maybe they didn't put some of these Midnight Society moments in here to lessen the the fear of the story like whenever they take it too far they'll use these moments to dial it back or to break tension and that's exactly what they do here so he assures Kristen that uh that the little sister did not get eaten so the midnight society uh wraps things up gary dumps the water and everyone 
uh, heads for the trail to go home. Eric still does not have his flashlight because Frank took it at the very beginning of the story. And so he he just sits there on the throne, assuring himself that he's not afraid of the dark, and he'll wait it out for Frank to come back. But then! A hand comes out of nowhere and grabs him. Eric runs away. And camera pans over to show Frank holding a flashlight, and he turns and looks at the audience and tells them, Paybacks are sweet! And then he runs off as we kick into the Rockin' Awesome theme song. Words cannot do justice to how amazing and hokey this is. It's beautiful. I wish this was the last episode of the season. It's the it's the best bookend for everything that has happened so far. I feel like from the first episode where Frank is introduced to this episode, we sort of get a full arc for their two characters. And the episode literally ends with a character telling themselves they're not afraid of the dark. Last week we said that uh, this was Eric's last real chance for redemption. I think you and I both assumed that he was never going to live up to the potential of that first section of a story that he told, but damned if he didn't prove me wrong, because this is a fantastic episode. Yeah, um, I didn't think this would happen, but this has very easily become my favorite episode of the show so far. It has surpassed the tale of the lonely ghost, and I genuinely think this is the best episode we've seen all season. It has everything. It is cheesy. It has a butthead. It has multiple genuinely frightening moments. Yep. And it has an ambiguous ending where the main character basically turns to the dark side. Yeah. Plus, it has callbacks to the first two episodes of the show, which I thought was amazing. Even without the severed hand from the first episode, this would probably be the best one. But that... That hand in the jar, it just takes it to that next level. You can really tell that everyone was having a lot of fun making this episode. Is there anything else left we need to say about this? It's just, it's great. It is pure joy. Yeah, there's one thing. I want to know. You scared of this shit? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm going to insert the Kool-Aid man going, oh yeah. Oh yeah. A very hard act to top, but tell us what we have to look forward to next week. Next week, we'll be watching The Tale of the Prom Queen, episode 12. It's directed by Jean-Marie Camot, and it is written once again by Chloe Brown, who wrote this episode that we just watched. Um, so that is something to look forward to. And next week's story will be told by Kristen, returning to tell a story for the first time in how long? Uh, the last one she did was The Tale of the Hungry Hounds. All right, so she gets a chance to redeem herself, too. Uh, any business we need to take care of? Before we conclude, I think that is it. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash you scared of this shit and follow us on Twitter at you scared of this. That's right. And uh, we are quickly reaching the end of season one. So stick with us and we'll see if they can stick the landing here before we bid goodbye to Eric forever. Yep. R.I.P. Eric. That being said, I declare this meeting of you scared of this shit closed. Bye, everyone. Shh.